Welcome to the Two Stewards Show. Hey, it would be neat to chat to someone who has spent time working in retail banking during the great financial crisis, then in private wealth management, then going on to get an MBA and become a consultant in financial services, and then working in management consulting, and who subsequently abandoned that entire career trajectory and wrote a book about Bitcoin and is now self-employed in Bitcoin. That would be interesting. So today, Jesse Berger takes us on his journey. Jesse is author of the book, Magic Internet Money, a book about Bitcoin. And if you haven't checked out our YouTube channel, this is your opportunity to see three guys who all made a conscious effort to sit in front of physical books to talk about a digital internet native monetary technology. I do say those weighty tomes make us look smarter. Well, at least Mark and I. Jesse describes Bitcoin's origination and explains the basics of and significance of Bitcoin's monetary policy, including the supply cap, the issuance schedule, and the cost of issuance. He is a wealth of knowledge, no pun intended. And so, if you are diligently trying to preserve the value of your time and labor and make stewardly decisions with your financial blessings, this episode will help to broaden your knowledge of both the legacy financial system and the Bitcoin financial system. Remember, we are trying to get to a place where we can make wise decisions and act confidently even when things are confusing and times are tough. If you want to chat about how you might be able to better steward what you've been blessed with using real estate as a vehicle, then you can get in contact with either one of us. Mark is helping folks to set up and manage successful short and midterm rental properties at joyhill.ca. I am helping folks source the right investment property, develop quality rental units, and secure amazing tenants at goodstewards.ca. And now, Jesse Berger. Hello, folks, and welcome back to another episode of the Two Stewards Show. My name is Mark, and I'm here with Brent. Hello, everybody. Yeah, hi, Brent. Welcome to the is show. Is that what I usually say? I usually say hello. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Something like that. Uh, and today we're excited. We've got a special guest. We have Jesse Berger on. And uh, Jesse is the author of the book Magic Internet Money. And uh, this is referring to Bitcoin, of course. But uh, we wanted to have Jesse on and just uh, pick his brain a little bit about uh, Bitcoin and what he's doing. So welcome, Jesse. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, guys. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let, um, just, just to get this straight, you're not a magician, though. I am not. I've never practiced magic. Like if you look at the front of this book, it's got big wizard on there. Yeah, that's so we were we were talking just before we came on about, you know, the term magic Internet money and where does that come from? And the wizard on the cover is an adaptation of the original, the or, the origin of magic Internet money, which okay. was someone did like an eight bit drawing of a wizard saying magic Internet money, join us. And that was like the profile photo for the original Bitcoin subreddit. Okay. okay. I feel like that's going to go over some listeners' heads, but <laughs> what the subreddit? <laughs> just just like a cartoon photo. Yeah. It was just, when I say 8-bit, I mean, it's like a cartoon really photo of a basic. wizard. Yeah, yeah. And that was like their profile photo for this group that would talk about Bitcoin. And so that's where, and they just wrote oh, magic cool. internet money, Bitcoin, join us, like join us in Bitcoin. And so I, I yeah, just yeah. adapted that image and made it a little <laughs> more sophisticated for my book cover. <laughs> Right. So when did uh, when did the book come out, Jesse? Yeah, I self-published the book in October of 2020, uh, and I had been writing it and trying to, I'll call it, stitch it together for roughly a year or nine nine months to a year prior to that. Okay, that's not yeah, that's not too bad. Nine months, yeah, especially with self-publishing, right? There's uh, yeah. a lot that goes into it. 
Yeah, and I mean, I um, it's funny. I, I initially thought I was going to do this PowerPoint deck where I was going to tell people, hey, this is what Bitcoin is, why you should have it. And I started working on this deck. And, you know, in, in a PowerPoint, you do a lot of bullet points, right? So you have like three or four or five bullet points per slide. And so I did that. And within a couple of weeks, I had like 80 or 85 slides. <laughs> and so I, I, was I, I was telling, I, I showed a friend, I'm like, can you look at this for me? And he looks at you, he goes... Jesse, like you're an idiot. No one's going to sit and listen to you for five hours for this PowerPoint to hear about Bitcoin. <laughs> but, but <laughs> this is kind of a good skeleton for a book. Maybe you want to turn it into a book. And I was like, I I'm not an author. I can't do that. And I went to sleep that night and I woke up and I'm like, that's a brilliant idea. I should turn it into a book. This is before chat GPT. You could just copy paste it in there and say, make a book for me. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Take these points and expand it for me. <laughs> so, Okay, so before we dive into um, Bitcoin and the book and so forth, like, what's your background, Jesse? How did you, I don't know, wh like, where did you come from and how did you get introduced to Bitcoin? Sure. So I'll, I'll take you through my sort of career progression first, and then we can talk about how I uh, got into Bitcoin. Um, I studied economics and philosophy at McGill going back to 2006. Uh, and people always said to me, oh, that's a strange combination, economics and philosophy. And I, I had this like canned line that I would always use in the interviews. I'm like, well, what's the point of learning about markets if you don't actually think about how they operate? And it's funny because <laughs> that was just like, you know, a one liner. But in hindsight, right. I actually ended up applying that um, because I think markets are not functioning properly. And I had to, you know, really <laughs> turn my own gears to make sense of it anyway. So if only I, more people thought. Uh, yeah, sort, sort of. Um, in um, I worked in retail banking for a few years after I graduated. So bread and butter, you know, you go into a, a bank account. Uh, I worked in one of the big five Canadian banks. You walk in, you want to open a bank account, set up an RSP and buy mutual funds, get a credit card, a mortgage, credit line, whatever. I did all that stuff. I underwrote loans um, for homes, for car loans, for whatever um, at the retail level. So just individuals who just walked off, walked in off the street and wanted to, you know, this or that service from there. Um, and I was working during the financial crisis. I, I started my career right at the beginning of the financial crisis. And so I sort of had this frontline seat <laughs> where I saw, Oh, they're printing all this money to give to the banks. Did they just have this money lying around? This is odd to me. And I started asking questions again, engaging that, like getting the thinking going, like, where does all this money come from? And, sent me down a little bit of a rabbit hole of changing my understanding and really reteaching, not even reteaching, teaching myself for the first time how economics and money and banking actually worked um, and discarding the previous knowledge I thought I had, which I could never really make sense of in the real world. Anyway, through that, I became interested in gold because I thought, oh, gold is good money because it has these characteristics. It was previously money, right? Gold is very familiar. People know the story a little bit. So start talking about that, thinking about that a lot more. And I, that ended up leading me to work in wealth management. So I did another few years um, managing investment accounts for high net worth uh, individuals and as well as, you know, corporations. Um, so I co I was uh, an associate with a portfolio manager. We ran about a hundred or $120 million for a few years Um after that, I ultimately decided that I didn't want to manage people's money for a living because when you manage people's money, you know, you get paid pretty well and you endure a lot of stress, right? And when you make money, your clients love you. 
but when you lose money, they will hate you more than they ever loved you. And I realized <laughs> I didn't want to get paid the good times to endure those bad times because A, the bad times were terrible and B, it just, I recognize that, you know, <coughs> You don't All have the, the guys, power to print money either, so you yeah, can't like it's paper a rig- over your losses. It's a rigged game. You know, the the whole reading analyst, oh, this analyst suggests that this, you know, we should buy this stock. We have a new target. Of- it's all a game. Like they're, you know, no, none of them are right. None of them have an incredible track record. There's very, 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 very few portfolio managers who uh, outperform on a regular basis. It's everyone's just throwing darts at the board and hoping their story makes sense and sticks and comes to life, like comes true and they make money for their clients. Um, most investors would just, you know, be better off just by the, the index and that's it. If you're going to participate in the stock market anyway. So I thought, I don't like this game. I'm out, went back to school, did my MBA. Cause I'm like, I need to change career paths. And the only skills I have are retail banking and wealth management. And there's a sort of specific trajectory I was on. Um, Ended up working as a consultant um, for a financial services firm, like in management consulting. So I did a project for RBC where I was evaluating uh, commercial borrowers who defaulted. Um, and then not, I wasn't for RBC, sorry, that was my client. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but whatever. <laughs> I'm too late now. <laughs> I don't have an NDA. <laughs> um, and then, but from there, I, I did that for a short time. And then from there, I spent a couple of years at a, a small management consulting firm that specialized in market research and customer experience. And so I managed the entire market research program for one of Canada's major insurance companies. So market research is, you know, you get those emails or phone calls. Hey, will you do a survey, rank our service out of 10? I love those calls. Yeah. So <laughs> I, could, I could tell you a lot of stories about how the data on the back end ends up. Oh, we don't like how this data is showing up or, oh, we need to reweight, you know, this demographic and that demographic. Then I, I don't think there's, there's some merit to the numbers, but I, I you know, there's not. There's wiggle room, let's say, with how the, that data gets interpreted by the companies at the okay. end of the day. Um, so I did that for a couple of years. And that's when I, I had previously, so I'll now transition to my story about Bitcoin. Um, I had previously heard about Bitcoin going back as far as 2010, 2011, but I didn't buy any at the time. I was vaguely familiar with it in the sense that I understood three critical things about Bitcoin. Number one, there are only 21 million coins or there will only ever be 21 million coins. We're not currently at 21 million coins because they are issued on a predetermined schedule. So that's point number two. The coins, like the monetary policy is set in stone. No one can change how many coins will be issued at X point in time. It is predetermined for the future. We know with certainty every 10 minutes, X amount of coins will be issued and we're going, we're on a trajectory from zero to 21 million. We're going to reach 21 million in like 100 years. But as it stands today, just for your listeners, like 19 and a half out of the 21 million are already issued. So the majority are, are already in circulation. And we're going to spend 100, the next 100 years or so mining the remaining, you know, one yeah. and a half, one million, one Wait, so million coins. So early on, you understood. So, You're getting to the third thing, but early on you understood this. Uh, uh, like, how did you come to that information? Is that just yeah, reading the constitution of Bitcoin? And- yeah, I, I just here. I watched, I don't know if you guys know who Max Kaiser is. So he had a, okay. a, fina- a financial show on RT, which is uh, sort of a, a non, um, how would I describe this? Uh, you know, <laughs> not a very welcome television channel in Canada these days, but uh you know, they're, he, Max is like, 
an interesting character. Anyway, yeah, through him, boy. through sites like Zero Hedge, if you guys know Zero Hedge, like there were there were yep. sites and blogs and stuff that I read, financial blogs that they talked about Bitcoin. So I understood the basics again, which are twenty one million coins will be the total. So unlike gold, which there is a limited amount, but that limit increases little by little every couple of years or every year because we mine one or two percent a year. Bitcoin will reach its peak and plateau, and that's it. It's done. Number two, the schedule is predetermined. So unlike gold, right, if the gold price were to soar, what you would see is a lot of people saying, oh, we're going to throw money at the miners to go explore and dig up in more remote regions and find more gold. And we can bring more gold online because we can dig deeper. We can go further into the wild and we can ultimately dig up more gold. So you could theoretically go from one or two percent to two or three percent. Right. Because we can yeah. keep exploring and digging deeper and deeper, especially if we have more resources to go do it. So Bitcoin is not a fixed supply, even if it's somewhat constrained. Bitcoin fixed supply, number one, schedule number two. So unlike monetary policy, like central banking, where they say, you know, if I were to ask you guys, what's the interest rate decision going to be next week? Like, we don't maybe it goes up, maybe it goes down, maybe it stands still. It's a guessing game. Are they yeah. going to print more money next month? Maybe it goes up, maybe it goes down. Maybe we don't know. Bitcoin predetermined schedule. So I know with certainty how many coins will be issued every month or every 10 days in Bitcoin's case, or 10 minutes, pardon me, in, in Bitcoin's case. And then number three, no free money. All coins come at an explicit cost. If you want to mine Bitcoin, anyone can participate in mining, but there is a real world tangible cost. Unlike central banking where they can just go, you know, Control C, you know, Control V, yeah. just copy paste prints. You know, I like where they move the decimal place. Yeah, over. exactly. Like that's literally a keystroke, and it's done. We just add more money to the network. It's free. There's no cost to the people who are creating new money in Bitcoin. If you want to participate in the process to bring that, the you know, if you start mining right now, which is the process of bringing that remaining one and a half million online. There's you're going to trade effectively a real world cost and that real world cost is computing power via you know energy, basically. Um, and we don't have to go into the nuts and bolts of all that right now, but, <laughs> but suffice to say, you know, there's no system or computer where, you know, you can just sit back and freely earn Bitcoin. You're always yeah, going to spending electricity. You're always going to spend electricity, which costs you actual dollars or, you know, in the real world or or you know, there's a price to pay. And same thing, if you want to earn Bitcoin, you know, like I pay people to, you know, my graphic designer, let's say, um, I can pay you, but you're going to give me a service in return. You're going to do this, the drawing of my book cover, let's say for me. Yeah. Um, so you can earn Bitcoin just like you can earn dollars. Um, but you can't print Bitcoin like you can dollars. <laughs> Which is very important and very good. So wait, okay, you understood these three things yeah. that you mentioned early on, but you didn't buy any still? Well, so here's the <laughs> thing. I was, yeah, yeah, no, I understood these three things and I thought, okay, this is, there's a real value proposition here. And then because it was like 2010, 2011, me and a few buddies at the wealth management firm I was working at, I, I like, I'm like, guys, like we should buy like a thousand bucks and put it into Bitcoin. And like, it was, you know, a dollar at the time. But then we sort of were like, okay, well, how do we do that? Right. And then we're like, well, number one, <laughs> we're just idiot bankers. Like we're not tech guys. <laughs> Um, and number two, it's like, it's sketchy. How do you use a wallet? Like there was no infrastructure today. If anyone wants to set up a Bitcoin wallet, you can literally download an app to your phone and you can have a very, very, very good Bitcoin wallet with excellent I think, uh... user experience. That's like, it, it will tell you here is your 
private key, which it is, is basically your password for your Bitcoin. Keep this private key. Don't lose it. Like it'll tell you as you're setting up the wallet, keep this, don't screw it up. Don't lose it. <laughs> and like that didn't exist 10 years ago. Right. Yeah. I think people still think it's sketchy though. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, it's a, cause it's so foreign, right? It's so right. new, but it's yeah. the same thing. You know, it's like email, right? Again, 30 years ago, how many people used email? Very few. Yeah, but it's, what at, is this? It's at, sketchy. As it proliferates and as people see the value proposition of it, you get the mines and the dollars that and, and the resources that flow into it. And so they build better infrastructure to make it easier and easier. And so, again, as you know, I'm of the opinion that as time goes on, it will continue to get easier and easier to use. Hmm. Well, I think, wasn't it? I think it was Paul <coughs> Krugman, right? A decorated Nobel laureate economist <laughs> who kind of poo pooed the internet, right? Back, and I the fax machine. The- yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like someone who is, for all intents and purposes, very educated, smart, brilliant, even maybe. And uh, he was just like, ah, this internet thing, right? And now, like, it's, it's ubiquitous, it's everywhere. My 92 year old mother. Um, yeah. regularly interacts with <laughs> internet or internet services. Like yeah. who would have thought, right? So, I mean, exactly. well, maybe, maybe this is a good concept. question then. Like, how do you compare Bitcoin to the internet though? Cause you're kind of saying, well, the internet, you know, it was kind of this, a foreign thing. So what, what comparisons can you draw to the bit, like to Bitcoin? If you look at it, like, are they both technologies? Yeah. How would you explain that to people? Yeah. Bitcoin, <laughs> just like the internet and just like email, Bitcoin is a protocol, right? So that's um, sort of this base layer series of rules for communicating between each other. The difference is Bitcoin's is communicating value. It's saying, you know, I have X number of units, right? I have one Bitcoin, you have five Bitcoin, you're going to send me two. It, it's, it's the protocol for how do we exchange those figures, right? The debits and credits, basically. Um, So it's a protocol for that. Email is a protocol for sharing uh, notes with certain characteristics, right? And the internet is a bigger informational uh, basket, but it's it's all just sort of protocols. So the Bitcoin is the newest one. It is the least used. It has some different properties, obviously, than email and the internet. And again, it's the way I see, I, I see it similarly in the sense that because it's still so new, the infrastructure is still just getting built up. We're at the point right now where, again, if I sit down with someone and say, you can download an app, like we can do it. It, it really <laughs> doesn't take that long, but you know, you have to want to try. I, you know, I, I, you can lead a horse to water. You can't make a drink. You have to be interested to some degree in this already. Otherwise, you know, I'm whistling to the wind, right? It's like, I'm telling you about something that you don't really care about, you don't want to know about. And everyone has their different reason for coming to Bitcoin. I think that's where you get into the problem and the solution, right? Um, Yeah. Like what I think on the back cover, yeah, on the back cover of your book, you have the question, what is money? And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I'm, is that the problem? <laughs> that's well. That that was the question that was like had me scratching my head in two thousand six okay. and two thousand seven when the financial crisis happened. Again, I, I said earlier on that okay, they printed, you know, six hundred billion dollars was the troubled asset relief program TARP to give out money to banks, and I just remember sitting there thinking like they just had $600 billion lying around. Like we could have been doing so much with that all this time. Um, 
and so I said, well, what is money? Like, do I really truly understand? Like I have it in my wallet. I give it when I go buy my lunch, I pay $10, I get the sandwich, but like, what is this piece of paper? Like, okay. The, the purple one in Canada has a number 10 painted on it. The green one has a 20 painted <laughs> on it. But like, if I hold them there, it's the same thing. What, like, why is one more valuable than the, and so like, I really started to like ask myself, well, not only why is one differentiated from the other, but how, like, how do they come into circulation? And, and once you try to dig into the, the nuts and bolts a little bit of it, um, you can really start to get a sense of how unjust, unfair it is, how it, um, and how it can be used to both deceive, um, to confuse markets, which is, which sows a lot of the, uh, like malinvestment or misinvestment where, you know, malinvestment is the term, but basically malinvestment means allocating resources where they wouldn't otherwise go, like where the market doesn't actually need them because someone, the central bank and the money printers and the government have this explicit control where they can just say, well, we just want to spend money and push it this direction, but they never earned it in the first place, right? Like you and I, we, we work for our money. We work hard for it. And then we're discerning about how we're going to spend it because we know we only have so much. So we're going to yeah. be careful with how yeah, we right. spend our money. But when you're a government and a central bank, you don't think like that because there's always yeah. more money coming because even <laughs> if you spend all the money you have, well, we'll just print more. So yeah. you, you're not actually taking. And you don't have care. to work for it to earn it. Then you then the, you have yeah. no respect for money, and so you start spending it in ways that you wouldn't otherwise do, and that creates a lot of the economic imbalances that are you know we perceive. You think that well. also creates like um, you you kind of said like misallocation, but do you think there's other effects as well that? We're, we because we, we were talking about short term thinking versus long term thinking just in society. Yeah. Do you think there's bigger societal consequences to that? Yeah. Well, de there's definitely a short term versus long term element. Again, you know, if I only have so much, I'm going to be more discerning and think, okay, well, well, here are my needs this month, but I also want to think about I got to save for I want to buy a car, I want to buy a house, I want to uh, have funds to, for my child's education or emergency medical expenses or whatever it's going to be. Um, you're you're plotting and trying to think about if I earn, you know, I earn $5,000 a month and I spend $4,000 a month on rent or mortgage and car payment. So I have this extra $1,000, which is I meaning that 1000 is the difference between what I produce and what I consume. So my excess production, I want to save and be able to spend again in the future. Um, where am I going to spend it? How am I going to spend it? I need, you know, you actually have to think that about that, right? That's literally financial planning 101 in a sense. <laughs> and so every individual does that, but not a single government has to worry about that at all. And so, but the principle should That's be, crazy. it should be exactly the same, <laughs> right? They tax us because the idea is that, hey, like I'm paying, government needs money to do, to, to pay for this and that program. And so that's why they need to tax us. Well, okay, if I'm paying my taxes so that we can fund this and that program, why are you also printing money and then giving me the bill, right? Like I like the, <laughs> the debt that they take out, we pay that interest, those interest charges, but I, I don't want that. Like I want you to operate within your means. Anyway, sorry, we're, I'm, we're going off a little bit here, uh, but, it, but, but suffice to say, and I, I think it's, 
which <coughs> hopefully is pretty logical and makes sense. Um, if you understand that that is a problem that governments and via central banks spend, they consume more than they produce and their excess consumption, they bill you for it. They put the bill on your back, even though they're spending on a lot of stuff that's nonsense. You don't actually want it. Like, I just want you to do the, the basic necessities that we actually need and we'll fill in the yeah. rest. The market is perfectly capable of filling in the blanks for a lot of stuff. Um, but because they have this ability, they're like, well, we, we want to provide you with it and we want to do that. It's like, no, you're doing too much. And yeah. because you, you don't actually understand the market's needs, you're creating all these imbalances anyway. And I think people, people kind of, when that happens, people kind of naturally want to give up their responsibility to the government. It's like, well, you guys can take care of it. Why are you take care of it? Yeah. I won't, they say, won't and they care. say they're going to do it. And then when they, you know, it's, they always, my favorite is, you know, they always celebrate. We did this new spending bill. We're going to do $10 billion <laughs> to invest in this. You never, ever, ever hear about five years later. Well, we did an analysis and it didn't actually work out that like you never hear about how none of these things pan out the way they plan. Right. And, and if, if you actually looked with, with fund managers, like with investment managers, they, they have to sort of show you the track record, right? You get all your statements month after month. You see how much fees they collected, what their performance was. Did they actually provide a return on investment? Private companies, if you're going to, you know, you do R&D and then you invest in a product and you're going to come out with a new product and you have your sort of profit and loss. So, you know, if it's actually successful, if the market wants it or not, and if it's actually if it's actually useful and it provides a good trade off in terms of, hey, I'm going to give you that hard earned money that I worked for. And in return, you're going to give me this product. I'm paying you because it's actually worth it. Government doesn't have to worry about any of that. They just do whatever they want. Yeah. So they never actually there's no feedback mechanism. And so waste becomes the incentive. Yeah, I think you compared it in your book. So go ahead, Mark. <laughs> I was just saying, you need things like a plastic bag registry. Uh, like, come yeah, on, right? Right? Like, like <laughs> that's going to help. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was at the store yesterday trying to buy something at SportCheck, and the guy, I asked him if he bought Bitcoin, and he said he did, and then he said he turned it into Ethereum. I told him to turn it back into yeah. Bitcoin this year, but I tell he was trying to sell me a reusable bag. Yeah. <laughs> Like now. <laughs> well, that's that's a whole other can of worms, right? The you know, there's Bitcoin, which is a very elegant solution to a real technological and monetary problem, and then there's crypto, which is sort of like this Rube Goldberg machine that like bastardized the solution, and it's created this new, overly complicated, widgety fidgety thing <clears throat> that like. It looks fancy. It's got bright lights and makes loud noises, but like it doesn't do it. It doesn't solve a specific problem. It's just like, hey, someone created this new thing. We're going to take it and put clown shoes on it and a, and Wait, a horn. So and like, then we're going to say, hey, like go buy our shiny new thing because this is only $1 and Bitcoin's $1,000 and you want the cheap one because that <laughs> it's easier to go from one to two than 1,000 to 2,000. And, and that's wait. So for our listeners who might think that like Bitcoin is crypto and they're the one and the same, like how would you look at that? Are they are they both the same as Bitcoin, the first crypto? Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like people don't. Yeah, it's maybe it's, articulate this. There's sort of a phrase in in my world in my circles that goes <clears throat> Bitcoin, not crypto, or, or you know, there there's Bitcoin, there's everything else. Um, Bitcoin is sort of the the first, the original cryptocurrency but in in the sense that the crypto stands for cryptography like there is a real world solution underpinning 
Bitcoin, whereas, again, the rest of the crypto world has sort of said, oh, you like you solved this problem. It, it was a longstanding dating back to like 1970, longstanding cryptographic problem that that you solved. Well, we're just going to take it. And, you know, if you know, if you think of, uh, you know, two plus two equals four. Right. We're going to go. Well, two plus two plus one equals four plus one. It's like, yeah. <laughs> like okay, like you yeah, didn't. Yeah, you didn't figure you, out you anything. Did, you didn't new. add anything new here. You you, you <laughs> like took the same math and made it slightly more complicated, but it doesn't actually give us any new information, mm-hmm. or or it's not a solution a, a, a solution in the same way that the original solution was. It's not like a new discovery. It's not a new discovery. Instance, yeah. Right? So it okay. it gets pitched as it's innovative and iterative, and we're gonna have these different features but the reality is those features could be an app like we don't actually need them at, right. in in um in the application of a you know cryptographic solution for uh, basically it solved the problem of trust meaning sorry let me uh, get, give me one second <laughs> you, you got into all kinds of different yeah hold uh... on. so I'll, I'll, I'll try to explain <laughs> it so bitcoin solved um basically two problems on the financial side you have what's called the double spend problem the double spend problem is is effectively the money printing problem right that as a bank in in theory money should be like you only have x amount and um or once you pay somebody or yeah like you, you've given up that money like if i have ten dollars in my bank account and i pay someone five i should only have five left but if you're a bank you can say okay i have ten in my that's deposited with me. I'm going to give out a loan for five, but I'm still going to tell the other guy he has 10, even though I gave away five of what he has. And then that five gets redeposited into my bank. And then I'm going to take that five that was just deposited and loan out two and a half of it. I'll tell the guy who deposited five, he has his five still. And then the new guy has two and a half. And you can just do this cycle where it's called fractional reserve <laughs> banking. And I explain it in like one page in my book. Um, I think Mark and I want to start a bank. Yeah, no, it's, if you can be, if you can be a bank, like it's a, it's a great, yeah. you know, you're literally, it is a bank. A commercial bank is literally a license to print money. Like that's what a loan yeah. is. Anytime they issue a loan, they're not taking funds from Jesse's account to give to Mark who needs the loan to start the business. It's just, okay, we decided Mark is uh credible. And so we're just going to print more money to give to him. That's every new loan is new money creation. There's not, this fixed, you know, amount of money that they're taking from one and giving to another. Um, so anyway, Bitcoin solved that problem in the sense that if I deduct from my account, it goes to the next account, but I, I can't say, well, I still have the previous amount, right? It, I either have it or I don't. Very simple. So. And that's uh, that's important, especially in a digital world, right? Because if you think about gold, like a physical piece of gold, I like give it to you. Yeah. You can you can look at that piece of gold and say, is this gold or did he give me brass covered with gold or something? Yeah. And, and it's very easy to verify that if you if I give you Bitcoin, like I'm giving you legitimate Bitcoin. It's very, very again, it's very, very easy to verify today. Um, so anyway. Problem number one that Bitcoin solved is the double spend problem. Problem number two is more of a technological problem. It's called the Byzantine generals problem. And so you don't have to worry about the the terminology. (laughs) Um, But basically what it does is um, by by virtue of the way Bitcoin is set up, and we're not going to go into all the underpinnings of it, it is a way that um, untrustworthy counterparties, people who don't necessarily trust each other, can can actually coordinate in a trustworthy fashion amongst each other and it's it's sort of a digital common ground for trust so um 
again, I I know that we're op- we're all operating on the same playing field. Um, we all, you know, I, I have what's called a node, and for simplicity's sake, you can think of no of a node as like the Bitcoin ledger. So I'm I'm one of Bitcoin's bookkeepers. Anyone can be a Bitcoin bookkeeper. It's literally free software you can run on your laptop or whatever. Um, but anyone can verify every transaction that happens on the Bitcoin network and the whereabouts of every single coin. Because of that, if someone says, hey, I'm going to give you some Bitcoin, it's like, okay, well, I can verify that's going to leave your account and come to my account. Um, and I can also verify that the system I'm participating in is A, not processing inauthentic transactions. So all transa- there's no counterfeit transactions. They're all valid. Um, and B, I'm also, obviously, I want to make sure that the cap, that 21 million Bitcoin never changes <coughs> because if I have one out of 21 million, I know my my relative share of wealth, right? One divided by 21 million is how rich I am in Bitcoin terms. In dollar terms, I have no idea how rich I am. If I have $10,000, what do I divide that by? Like how many Canadian dollars yeah. are there? Is there a trillion? Is there two trillion? <laughs> is that going to change next month? With Bitcoin, I, I have this certainty and so it, it's a building block of trust. Yeah, I almost think when you talk about the legacy banking system compared to that, right? You have you have no way of knowing how many how many dollars are out there. No way of verifying that. Yeah, and almost I, I, can anybody in the world do that? Can anybody in the world verify? Maybe the central banks, like yeah. <laughs> maybe. But I mean, how much control do they have over corporate, like over commercial bank? balance sheets, the, right? Like yeah. how much insight do they have into their balance sheets? And so central banks- And how much could you trust them, right? Because if- And then there's the they, trust factor. Yeah. yeah. Like I, even if they say, oh, we audited ourselves, you know, price PwC audited us and uh, and we there's only a trillion US dollars. It's like, okay, well, number one, PwC also <laughs> audited, you know, FTX. Yeah. <laughs> and they said they were good just before they like, it may not have been PwC. It may have been one of the others, yeah, but the yeah, same, imagine. whatever. It doesn't matter which one. <laughs> Um, so like, A, I have to trust the auditor, but I, like, I want to verify for myself. I don't want the whole premise of Bitcoin is I don't have to trust someone else. I can literally run software that will, that works, that will verify it all for me. So I can feel certain that it's confirmed on my end. Like I am personally confirming it. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, So (laughs) it's a lot of things that we've. It is. It is. But it's it's also, I don't know, you step back, it's kind of simple, right? One of the things that we've yeah. talked about a lot is um, uh, is the idea that money is basically a store of your, it's a store of value. It's a store of your, your labor, essentially, right? Yeah. And with, um, with fiat money, that's interesting, fiat, right? Because we we're we're creating money so we have this idea of um and i'm still working on the the latin phrasing but fiat lux right that's those are the first words of the bible god created light he said let there be light and um and then we as humans think that we can create something out of nothing so i guess in latin it would be sit pecunia and uh, I don't know if that phrase will catch on, but um, it's, it's the, <laughs> kind of the hubris, though, to think that we can create something out of nothing. But this is one of the criticisms of Bitcoin, right? Is that, oh, you're just pulling money out of thin air. But the way that you explained it, like, no, there's actual, there is computing power, there's electricity that go, and 
you know, the same people who criticize it for being pulled out of thin air also say, oh, it uses too much energy. But it's like, no, there is value that is actually stored in Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. And there, like there's physical, like it's electronic or it's electric, but it's actual value that gets stored in it as opposed to fiat currency, which really has nothing other than like whatever it costs to, to move a mouse or hit a keypad. Yeah, like I think I think we can all everyone should be able to agree that like free money, right? If money can just be printed from nothing is not a good thing, right? That that will devalue the currency. And the only reason they're able to print the money and people think it has value is because once upon a time it was pegged to something harder that took work to produce, right? And then we sort of had this bait and switch, the you know, the Indiana Jones moment where it was backed by gold and then <laughs> oof, we swoop in and just back it by nothing. Um so <laughs> dollars had to have this legacy value, I guess we could we could think of it as. Um, but in reality, if we started a system today and said, hey, we're just the central banks just going to print money whenever we want and you have to use it. We'd be like, well, no, I don't like I don't want to do that. Um, but we've been grandfathered into this current system. Um, but, yeah, on the Bitcoin front, you know, people might say. Uh, oh yeah, it's it's free money. It was it was um, you know it's just a few keystrokes on the internet, whatever. At the very, it's in, it's interesting that at the very beginning of Bitcoin, you know you could mine Bitcoin and you could do it on an average laptop. Like anyone could do it from home on their laptop at the time. And your laptop, you know, when you use your laptop a lot, you hear the motor start, the fan starts going. Yeah. So you know it might do that because it's working really hard. Um, but that's not, that wasn't going to spike your energy bill, you know, to the moon kind of thing. It wasn't, it wasn't going to go so crazy, but during the first, I believe it's year and a half that Bitcoin existed, it had zero market value. No, like there, you couldn't sell it for 10 cents. You couldn't sell a thousand coins for 10 cents, right? Like it, it didn't trade. It was just this project for hobbyists and tinkerers and nerds, right? They were just toying around with this idea they they had had different pieces you know if you look up the uh sort of the cypherpunk history you had a, you know um eagled and uh i forget the i forget if that was made by adam back but there was one by Wayday, who's another cypherpunk and ba basically you had these nerds <laughs> not, not, not i don't mean that in a, in a, in a mean way or, or degrading people. way i you know brilliant people who were trying who understood that there was a problem were trying to come up with a solution, couldn't quite get it right. And then Bitcoin comes along and suddenly all the pieces just fit perfectly together. It took one piece from here and one piece from here and created it. You know, the 21 million was just, it was its own new monetary policy that it put in and everything fit together in just such a way. And at the beginning, like we said, there's no market value. So they're, they're spending that little bit of energy. It cost a tiny, tiny little bit, but it was not enough to move the needle. And they did that. Um, for free because it was interesting and they thought, hey, there might be something here. And then ultimately, once I think the first valuable transaction was the pizza transaction. I don't know if you guys know what that was, but basically yeah. someone put out a post saying, hey, I will pay you 10,000 Bitcoin if you buy me a pizza. So someone yeah. ordered <laughs> from Papa John's or something like two large pizzas and sent it to this guy's house. And he said, okay, and I'll send you 10,000 Bitcoin. And that was like sort of established the first value of Bitcoin in the real in world. In the real world. And it wasn't even a monetary transaction, right? It was a goods for 
for for a Bitcoin transaction, right? So it was actually used as money in the sense that someone paid for the pizza with Bitcoin. They didn't pay Papa John's. They paid the guy who paid in dollars, but whatever. Yeah. Um, and so we established this little tiny bit of value. <coughs> and then people think, okay, well, what if, you know, it does more and someone creates a market and then we say, hey, will you buy it for, you know, five cents? You know, we're going to start, you know, start the bidding if, if you're interested. And people came and the more people came and, you know, the more value comes, the more value comes, the nerds and tinkerers are like, I'm going to stop spending as much time as I am on this other project or my job. And if there's actually like value accruing here, well, I'm going to spend my time and energy on Bitcoin and I can build, I can try to improve the protocol. I can try to uh, build a wallet so that's easier to use. I can build an exchange that's, you know, makes it easy to go from dollars to Bitcoin. I can, you know, you build up the infrastructure and the services and the more that builds up, then more people go, hey, now like an, an idiot like Jesse can come along and use Bitcoin. And so I'm going to spend my time and energy, but I'm not the guy who's spending my time and energy building products. I'm not a developer or an engineer or whatever. I'm trying to spread knowledge and awareness You're of it. You're just an Id idiot with an MBA. I'm just an idiot with an MBA. That's a quote. You know, put it in quotes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but like, I'm going to spend my time and energy here because there's a value proposition. The the value arose very organically, right? No one no one's holding a gun to your head saying you have to use this as money. It's no, like I this makes sense to me because because of the limited supply and the cost and um and the predetermined schedule. Understanding the alternative, the fiat system in the background is basically the complete antithesis. Um, so I see that, and as more people are coming along. It, it starts to cost more to mine it, right? Because, okay, well, I'm going to dedicate more resources to this. So the guys who got tens of thousands of Bitcoin at the beginning, well, they could only, you know, trade it for $100 or whatever it may have been, right? It wasn't worth very much. Many of them, through time as, you know, a little bit of value accrues, more people come in and are building stuff, they sell. Like Bitcoin naturally got distributed. So it had this sort of very organic distribution. And... In, in that sense, it's much more fair than the way dollars are distributed because anyone who wanted to back then and now, you can still participate in that process. It's just because as we get further and further along and it matures and matures, sure, the, the cost gets higher, but it's completely open to anyone. Yeah, I kind of uh, sometimes look at it or make a comparison to gold, right? Like all the easy gold was mined a long time, all the stuff that was super easy to get all the Bitcoin yeah. that you could mine with a laptop that's that's gone yeah and now it's just harder and harder and just like gold right like you said if you want it, to find gold now you need tech you need a lot of capital you need expertise you really got to dig deep to find it but it's still very hard to some of the value yeah yeah exactly it's still very hard to to get gold and the low-hanging fruits already been picked essentially I mean maybe someone gets lucky and finds a giant gold mine somewhere but the idea that <laughs> On the whole, the low-hanging fruit has been picked. It's the same monetary concept with Bitcoin. No. Yeah, I'm still hoping my uh, little miner, my little uh, heater, mines uh, mines a whole block. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> so Jesse, you you work now. Your bio, I think it says you work in Bitcoin. Like, who do you work for? Who's, who's Mr. Bitcoin? You had a lot of books behind you. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of books. But the, these ones over here, this whole section, and that's all Bitcoin books right there. Okay. 
I got the other sort of history books and stuff over and there. That's where you work in those. I books. work in those books. Yeah, no, I um, I mean, I wrote my book about Bitcoin, so I, I get to talk about Bitcoin to guys like you and other podcasters and and do interviews and stuff. Um, I also just do sort of house calls if you want to think of it that way, where I will talk to whether it's private investor groups. Um, who are curious to understand the case for Bitcoin. I also help people just if they want to like set up a wallet, you know, I'll do sort of one-on-one coaching sessions where, okay, let me spend an hour with you. Well, whether you're going to Bitcoin wallets come in layers in a sense, right? There's like the very simple ones that I can just download on my phone and set up in 10 minutes. And then there's, well, you know, for my phone, maybe I have a hundred or 200 or $300 on here. It's not my life savings, but if I'm going to, put my life savings into Bitcoin or put a significant amount of money into Bitcoin. Well, I'm going to take my my security a little more seriously. I'm going to add a few layers of security. So there's different tranches and layers to how you can secure your Bitcoin. And so, yeah, I'll just take time to explain that to people or help them set themselves up. Um, yeah, man, you better you give out your phone number or people are just going to be calling. No, I, have, I, I have an email address. You, you know, you guys okay. can email me. <laughs> <laughs> So wait, uh, so is that what you do then? Yeah, for the most part, that's what I'm doing these days. I'm wow. I have another book in mind, non Bitcoin book related, because I, um, I guess discovered a, you know, I I I like putting out good written pieces. I I did uh, I don't you know during COVID <laughs> I put out a couple pieces. I was I was somewhat critical, let's say, of uh, the response. <laughs> um, and so I put out a couple pieces on that. And I'm basically thinking about writing, putting those together, those previous essays, and then I have a new one in mind and, and making a new book on uh, stuff related to that. Um, so not Bitcoin related, but but essentially I'm, uh, yeah, trying to hone my craft as a writer um, and also still operating in, in the world of Bitcoin. So then, because I've always been curious about this, how do people make money in Bitcoin? Like I... I kind of get it. If you're a developer, maybe you can work for a company or whatever. But yeah, no, if you just if, want to go out on your own, is that no? It's maybe we have a lot of young listeners too. Maybe that's just something they want to. No, look at listen, I, I I'm very lucky in the sense that I had a relatively successful career um, for yeah. you know close to 15 years, not including including the year that I went to school. Um, so I, or so I had a, a good career, and I was from a young age. My parents are relatively conservative and were trying to teach me from a very early age about, you know, produce more than you consume, put away some savings every month, you know, have a plan, like think long-term. So that was built into me from a young age. So I didn't, you know, when I was working on Bay street, you know, I knew a lot of the guys who would just go out and, you know, drink like crazy and, you know, part, I, you know, I participated a little bit, but I was very selective, let's say, and how I would do that. I didn't like to spend a lot of money at the bar, um, I was always concerned about my savings and as I explained from like literally the beginning of my career, I'm like, Oh, you know, savings isn't always what it seems, you know, the markets are kind of wonky. So I, I was a gold bug initially. Um, and by initially, I mean like starting in 2008 or nine or, or so, um, or maybe even 2007, but, um, uh, either way, um, I was, very fiscally prudent. And I, I put myself in a very good position. I'll, I'll sort of leave it that it, meaning that, you know, I can be a little more selective with how and when I work and what I work on. And then obviously Bitcoin has helped with that as well. Just giving me financial freedom and the, you know, comfort to say, well, you know, if they're going to devalue the currency, like <coughs> you're benefiting me, like go for it. You know, yeah, like, who cares? you want to, you want to <laughs> print more money? Like, 
I'm kind of on team go like go right ahead. Like I, I'm going to advocate for fiscal responsibility. But if you are fiscally irresponsible, like you're you're not hurting me anymore. You're in, if anything, you're helping me. Um, so I, <laughs> so would you vote for uh, vote NDP yeah. or more, more spending? <laughs> yeah, no comment on that. Yeah. We'll stay out of politics. <laughs> so uh, curious, Jesse, um, because I. I see more people like this in the Bitcoin space who are presumably just doing things for altruistic reasons. And I'm trying to think of other kind of financial spaces where that is similar. And I, and, and I really can't. Has Bitcoin kind of changed your, I don't know, your view on consumption and, and, and what you need? Because when I think about Wall Street, right, um, I mean, it, it's it's all these sort of stereotypical images, but you think of the traders and like... I made a million bucks this year, but it's never like, Hey, that, that was good. Like I'm, I'm comfortable. It's like, I got to make 2 million next year. And if I made 50 million bucks this year, that's, that's, I'm not going to, you know, just kind of sit back and be like, whatever, I got to make 50 million more next year. I got to get it as opposed to like, I have enough. Yeah. And, uh, there's... I need to live, but... Yeah, there's yeah. a bit there's a in the uh the fiat world in the world of dollars the there's sort of a culture of money is easy come easy go spend it right and and, and that's literally a baked in incentive to the actual system because e whether you acknowledge it or not subconsciously you sort of know that having just a bunch of dollars laying around is not a good thing because you know they're going to devalue right whether you want to talk about it very openly or not they will devalue. And so it's like you have this fire under your butt to like, I got to spend it somehow or I have to invest it, meaning I'm taking a risk, right? I'm going to, if I put it in stocks, if I put it in bonds, if I put it in gold, I'm taking a risk to some degree, right? There's a risk reward trade-off, but there's no just, what's the the baseline just safety, right? The, the whole premise of dollars backed by gold initially was that it it creates that restraint on dollars and and it it's this like this safety element of I can just rest here and feel comfortable resting at this solid foundation um because I know that it, it can only be debased so much it's only a little bit of debasement I'm comfortable with that one or two percent of gold debasement um and so it it it's was relatively good at holding its value Bitcoin took that foundation which was pretty good and firmed it up and now it's super super it's like impenetrable and so now we have i have this foundation made of stone that is immovable unshakable and i'm not only just comfortable resting here and i feel like i i look at bitcoin as the safest place that i can store my money because again if i have one bitcoin i know it's one divided by 21 million i know my relative share of wealth is unchanged and then if i furthermore understand the value proposition that Bitcoin acts as money. It can perform all the duties of money. And I explain in the book that money should be durable, meaning it should stand the test of time. It should be fungible, meaning it's very easy to identify counterfeit or, or honest units of money. And it's also whether I have, you know, if you have a f two $5 bills and I have one $10 bill, we can exchange them. And like, it's the same thing. No, we don't differentiate between like yeah. we both still have ten dollars total same thing with bitcoin if i have a bunch of fractions of bitcoin they all add up to one or someone sends me one transaction with one whole bitcoin and i send them 0.110 times same thing i don't care which one i have so it's fungible durable fungible portable it's very easy to take with me it's very easy easy 
um, to send anywhere in the world anytime I want, not just during banking hours, Monday to Friday, 9.30 to 4 p.m., right? I, I've literally sent transactions at Saturday at 11.30 p.m. and it got there. And you know, if I want to send a wire, if I want to send a wire because I'm going to send, let's $20,000, it's going to cost me 50 bucks. I'm going to have to go into the bank in person. I'm going to fill out a bunch of forms. It's going to take two days. And they're so screwy that like, oh, we accidentally sent it to the wrong place. It's going to take a week to reverse. And like, I can literally just send that $20,000 in Bitcoin and it gets there in 10 minutes. It doesn't matter what hour of the day it is. Anyway, so durable, portable, <laughs> div- uh, fungible, um, divisible, right? Again, I can divide it into smaller units. If I want to buy something small, I can one, you know, if I want to spend $100,000 worth of Bitcoin and buy a house or a fancy car or whatever, I can do that. Um, Fungible, portable, divisible. Um, here, well, I got to remind myself. I feel like scarce is one yes, on that yes, list. Very much, yeah, scarce <laughs> is number five. Thank you. You'll save me. So scarce, obviously, <laughs> gold was pretty scarce, right? We have the 1% to 2% inflation of, of gold. Inflation meaning the amount that is brought online every, every year. Bitcoin, perfect limited scarcity, absolutely fixed scarcity. So it improves on gold in that sense. Um, and then it's also costly, right? In the sense that... You can't just create new Bitcoin for free. So it meets all the criteria of money. It is a safe foundational resting place for my money. And in the context of, well, they're just printing money like crazy. Stock markets, are they going to go up? Are they going to go down? If you remember the GameStop fiasco, right? It's like, that's a rigged game anyway. <laughs> Why would you buy bonds from from countries? Like, they're all massively in debt. If you were to do... Um, uh, you know, the basic um, income to uh, loan servicing, you know, debt servicing ratio. <laughs> I couldn't give out a loan for someone who wanted like a credit card or a mortgage unless, you know, they had, uh, unless I forget, I forget the ratios, but it's like your income should be, if I was going to give out a mortgage for a quarter million dollars or $250,000, your income should be roughly a quarter of that. So you should make uh, 65, whatever it is, $70,000, 65, $70,000. Again, governments don't have that issue. It doesn't matter how much debt they rack up and it doesn't matter how much income they bring in 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 tax revenue. It's just forever. So in that background, understanding that dollars are getting debased, the stock market is gamed, bonds are a terrible investment, especially um, sovereign debt. Um, Gold has value, but Bitcoin is better for me from my understanding of it for all the reasons I listed and a whole bunch of others that we haven't necessarily got into. Um, I view it as it has the biggest upside in terms of where can I place my hard earned money that it, that I can save it knowing it'll be there for the future and still either maintain or grow its value. So it has the best um, upside and the lowest risk, but the one trade off that everyone has to take to heart in Bitcoin is that there's no safety net, right? If I have $10,000 in the bank, if there's a glitch and or something and they accidentally, you know, the money accidentally gets lost, like they will reimburse me basically because it's all just made up anyway. And, you know, you have a previous here, I had a previous statement, like I, you know, I, I had $10,000 in there or you send the wire, it goes to the wrong place. They'll take the time and get it back. And, you know, it'll take time, but there's, they sort of create this administrative bureaucracy, which we all pay for with our fees which is very, very expensive, by the way, creates a sort of safety net. (laughs) And Bitcoin doesn't have that. But because it doesn't have that, 
I know that everything's going to go exactly where I send it without fail. Like all transactions are final. I can't just call up Visa and say, oh, reverse this transaction. I didn't spend at the store. No, no. If I send it, I <coughs> sent it intentionally and I have to own it. The fact that I sent it. Yeah. And if I lose my private key, which is my password, there's no there's no 1-800-Bitcoin CEO help me. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like we're so used to that because it's been prevalent. Like growing up myself, I've never had a time where money was final settlement, where I could just send it. The value goes. I can't reverse of it. Of course, but it, it's like we're all nannied and babied. Right. Like, oh, you can't do this by yourself. <laughs> you need us, the big bank, to be there for you. Like, no, you yeah. can be a responsible adult. Like you have your own keys to your house and <laughs> keys to your car and you have the password to your email that no one else has the password. Yeah. And yeah, you know, maybe you can email Google if you lose it or there's backups, whatever. Um, and there are different security measures you can take in Bitcoin to try to reinforce and, you know, add extra layers. But again, it's, there's no like so you're kind of saying it's a risk, but it's also a benefit at the same it's time. It's the trade-off. Like... It's understanding that there's a trade-off, and I just have you know I, I'm of the very strong opinion that it is far and away the best trade-off that's out there. Um, but it's you know again it's you have to be willing and interested, and it has to uh, you have to figure out how it's compelling or why it's compelling, and and yeah. it's. It takes people different times. I almost yeah. think like if you actually want to take responsibility to hold all of the value of your labor or time, like all everything you work yeah. for and you want to take that into your own care and possession, say, look, I'm going to take responsibility for all of this. I'm not going to put it in a bank. Then you better be prepared for, oops, I lost yeah, it. Yeah, that's, you know, if you, <laughs> if you just, if you don't trust um, banks and let's say you don't trust Bitcoin and you just hoard gold, let's say, right? Like, it's in a vault in your basement or in your or wherever. And if someone comes knocking at your door, you know, you have to defend it yourself. Bitcoin is far more defensible because it's far easier to hide and obscure. And even if someone says, so there's something called the uh, the $5 wrench attack. And what that means is someone comes to your house and says, hey, I have this big wrench. I'm going to bash you over the head with it if you don't tell me where your Bitcoin is. How do you protect against that, right? Same thing with gold. If someone comes to your door and says, oh, I got you now. I'm going to smack you over the head. I'm going to take your gold. Your gold is very visible and physical, and it's going to be in a set location. Yeah. I, and it's harder to hide. With Bitcoin, you can literally come at me with a $5 wrench, and I can say, I can literally give you everything I have on my person in my home right now, but that still isn't going to be enough for you to get my Bitcoin because I have set it up in such a way that I need one key that's here, but I need another key that's over there, but we're going to have to drive you know, a couple hours. And then once we unlock both the keys, well, that sets off a 28-day timer and we're going to have to sit around for 28 days. Are you going to hold me hostage for 28 days while we sit? People are going to start to notice. Like, it's It, it becomes not worth the effort because you can defend it so easily and, and create these layers. And again, this is like a little bit of an obscure example with the 28 days and the whatever, but it's perfectly doable. Like it is totally doable today with the technology we have, with the products and services I feel we like have. We're, I feel like we're going to have to change the $5 wrench attack to like the $50 yeah, wrench attack. Yeah, it's, well, it, you know, <laughs> all, all, all that to say, um, yeah, you know, you're taking responsibility um, and you just, you have to own it, right? Like we talk, I'm sure you guys talk a little bit about, you know, people are want to take responsibility of their health and the food that they eat. And, um, you know, if you're in real estate, you know, you, you, you're, um, managing the upgrades to the house or, you know, someone complains about the, the furnace is broken or whatever, like, you know, you're sort of responsible at the end of the day for that. You're owning that responsibility. Um, 
same idea with Bitcoin. It's just applied slightly differently. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a metaphor for life, right? If you want to have rewards, then you need to, to take risk and have responsibility. If you're going to be an adult and move out of your parents' house. That's exactly and, it. And uh, stand on your own two feet. There's, there's the risk that you could fail. You could get sick. You could go bankrupt. You could, a million things could happen. But it's also like the best thing that you can do for yourself, right, is to have that responsibility put on you. And, uh, and yeah, it's kind of the same. And it helps, um, you, it, it helps you grow as a person, right? Like you become yeah. more acutely aware of things and, and right, like you can be, I want to be a baby. I want the, the state to be my nanny. I want them to give me my basic income and my welfare. And I want them to tell me what I'm supposed to eat and what medication I'm supposed to take and where I'm supposed to live. And, and they're going to tell me, and I don't have to think about any of this and I can live in la la land, yeah. or you can live in the real world, which is a little more harsh, but much more fulfilling and rewarding because you are discovering for yourself what it takes to perform, right. To, to do things and to be, to live life on your own terms. And right, like the Bitcoin, the sort of culture of it. And it, you know, I've heard someone say, uh, I believe it was Mike Krieger. I don't know if you guys know who Mike Krieger, Michael Krieger is. Um, Liberty Blitzkrieg on Twitter. I don't know if he's even active very much anymore, but he was brilliant for the last, I, I used to read his blog all the time. Anyway, um, he, he was on Zero Hedge and stuff all the time. But um, he said, uh, Bitcoin is a teacher, right? Because I have to secure Bitcoin and I have to kind of, there are certain elements like, that I can tell you all, I can run my mouth right for hours about, this is why it's great, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but at the end of the day, if you don't get your hands into it, get a little dirty, experiment, tinker, and like figure out what it means to do it and use it just, just a little bit on your own, you'll never learn. And so, but Bitcoin will teach you by virtue of you actually doing. I can, I can, I can lecture so in the classroom, but until you actually go out into the real world and have the job and do the task, you won't actually know. Yeah, that's interesting because Mark and I were just talking about uh, farming with uh, with somebody who's kind of in the natural farm world, moved out of the conventional sure. farming and into, um, yeah, natural farming and using biodiversity to improve the soil quality and all this cool. stuff. Um, interesting link um, to that because, yeah, he's in a sense getting real world feedback, right? He's saying, oh, I, I kind of want my pigs to do this. Let's try it, yeah. right? And, oh, it didn't really work. Maybe, you know, we need to try something different. And he gets that like real feedback right away yeah. versus I think he compared it to like the agricultural minister just telling like maybe he comes from a failed farm yeah. Yeah. and he's telling everyone else how to run their farm. Right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and there's and there's uh, sort of a, people want that safety net, right? We crave a lot of people crave that. And, and yeah, let's let the state kind of take care of all our needs and so forth. But, you know, there's a, at the end of the day, it doesn't work. And people are starting to realize that now, unfortunately, with the pain that we're going through, it's like, wait a minute, I thought I could depend on the state for my basic needs for retirement for all this stuff. And like, you know, okay, I gave up all these freedoms. But in return, I would be okay. And people are realizing, like, we're not okay. Yeah. That's, like, that really sucked to like, see. But all the money that, you know, I've contributed to the Canadian pension plan, for example, so far, and you guys, right? I mean, I'm almost 40. You know, if my official 65 year old, whatever retirement age, like, 
what am I going to get from CPP? <laughs> you know, okay, if, if, if maybe I get, you know, $500,000 a month or whatever, like, what's that actually going to be? That'll, that'll buy me a sandwich, maybe, at that point, right? Like, yeah. so, okay, yeah, I can't trust them. So, like, how do I trust myself? Because I can't trust them, so I have to trust myself. And, you know, you have to, again, we're engaging the get, get the gears moving and thinking. That's why they're, uh, that's why they're promoting intermittent fasting, yeah, right? You get yeah. a, like one sandwich a day and that's all you get. <laughs> hey, they're, 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 here there's great health benefits to fasting. No joke. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's, but not for a month. Like yeah. Not for a month necessarily. <laughs> Unless you're Russell, Russell Okung. Do you guys know Russell Okung or who he is? No. Is he like a Wim Hof kind of thing? Uh, but in fasting? Well, I mean, maybe. he. Um, so he's an ex-NFL, like all pro, you know, defensive tackle kind of thing. Bitcoiner for seven, eight, nine years at least. I don't, I don't know exactly. Wow. But he left the NFL. He took his last year's paycheck all in Bitcoin. Oh, okay, um, yeah. And, uh, and he recently did a 40-day water fast. What? Which is like crazy and you got, this was like a Can big dude and, and he's you know he's ripped like he's a strong guy four four zero 40 day water fast anyway so i you know not that i'm i don't advocate that i've never done it it's just apparently there's some interesting benefits to water fasting um but that's i i haven't gone all the way down that rabbit hole yet <laughs> that's for another. 40 days that reminds me of something yeah um <laughs> 40 day fast. Okay, I think we uh, <laughs> sorry, we, we, we talk got... okay, Jesse. Sorry, say um, that again. Yeah, say that oh, again. Oh no, I said that we would love to. We would love to talk to you all day, but we can't. And um, yeah, we got things. Uh, I understand. Other pressing concerns, reality. Yeah, <laughs> I think you do as well. So, um, okay, so where? Okay, let's just go through your book. Where is it available? How do people get a hold of you when they need help uh, setting up their wallet? <laughs> sure. So, yeah. So, uh, I'll just quickly, I'll flash the book again there. You can get a good look at the uh, the cover. So, it's Magic Internet Money, a book about Bitcoin. Um, you can buy it on, on Amazon, on, I think Indigo might sell it too, but don't buy it on Indigo because they mark it up. Um, buy it on Amazon. <laughs> uh, it's cheaper that way. You can also buy individual pages of my book on my website for SATs. And SATs, for, for listeners who don't know, are the smallest denomination of Bitcoin. So if $1 equals 100 cents, one Bitcoin equals 100 million SATs. Um, so you can, you know, a couple hundred sats, you can read individual pages of my book. There's a, a the website is magicbitcoinbook.com. Um, so you can, and it has links to Amazon and everything there if you want to buy the book. Just curious about your book. Like it, you wrote it a bunch of years ago. Is it, is it still fully relevant? Like how did you kind of structure yeah, the book? Uh, so th yeah, that's actually a good question. Thank you. Like it's that. not time bound. It's, it's more principles yeah, about it's, Bitcoin. Um, I'll, I'll, it's the format. I told you guys at the beginning of the show that I did a PowerPoint deck. So I actually somewhat kept the PowerPoint format in the sense that every page is its own siloed mini essay that has, uh, that teaches a lesson or tells a little story about Bitcoin. And the idea being that you can just read one page at a time and just you're slowly adding up the knowledge and lessons and ideas from those individual pages. And if you go halfway through the book and you go, wait, Jesse's mentioning this, but I don't remember, you can go back and reteach yourself very quickly. So it's not, it's purposely not an intimidating book. It's meant to be a very friendly, easy to read book. The lessons were meant to be timeless. I wrote it thinking, okay, 
I want in 10 and 20 and 30 years, the, the, the ideas to be still relevant. And so there's one or two things I could point to go, oh, I didn't quite get that perfect. I wish, you know, maybe I should have phrased that a little differently. But for sure, you know, 97% or 98% of the book on the whole, the lessons are all there. The, the, the overarching themes, uh, the conclusions, um, all of that um, is, is timeless in my view. I hope it's timeless anyway. Um, and, and it's all still relevant because it's it's teaching you the foundations of like why Bitcoin. And it's also contrasting Bitcoin. We talked a little bit about the fiat system. I mentioned fractional things like fractional reserve banking. I try to explain those concepts in very simple terms so that you can really I'm trying to paint a clear picture and a clear juxtaposition of one versus the other. Um, so that's sort of a theme throughout the whole book is. There's yeah. Bitcoin. I just think because yeah. in Bitcoin, like a lot has changed. It seems it seems like a lot has changed since what, like, even the last couple of yeah, years. Yeah, <laughs> there's you know there's protocol so. upgrades and things, but the, but the core elements of 21 million predetermined schedule, no free coins. Those three things are effectively the three most important elements of what makes Bitcoin Bitcoin from a monetary perspective, like why it's good money or why it's the best money that that humanity has ever known. Um, and why it, you know, why there's a very strong value proposition there. In addition to the fact that you know no one can stop transactions, it works 24/7. Anyone can participate. Doesn't matter where in the world you are. All that stuff. Um, anyway, so magicbitcoinbook.com, um, magicbitcoinbook@gmail.com. If you want to email me um, for anything, I'm I'm happy to discuss. Um, yeah, just you know, if you want recommendations of uh, you know, I want a phone, a wallet for my phone, or what product do you recommend for a hardware wallet? If I want to take that next level of security, all that stuff, I'm happy to to help you out or schedule a call. Awesome. Um, and you can follow me. I'm I'm usually active on Twitter, or I guess it's X now uh, at Jaybirj J A Y B E R J A Y. Um, and yeah, I if you read the book, I'm please give me feedback. I I love to hear um, what people think of it and if it helped them understand things and if there were you know crystallized some of the the concepts and ideas that uh, you know we tried to talk about. Yeah. Do you feel like you made the right decision getting into Bitcoin and getting out of the legacy system? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always curious. It's like, what's it like over there? Do you have any regrets? <laughs> Without question. Yeah. The uh, the legacy, yeah. especially the legacy financial system, I mean, and the corporate world in general, it's like... Like you had a successful career, it yeah, sounds like, like I you... had a pretty good career, but it yeah. it takes a toll on you. It it's It's not good for the soul, sort of the format and the incentives. And like, yes, you make... You can make good money, but at the end of the day, that's not the most important thing. Like I, I am so much more satisfied with this book that makes me very little money um, that I can hang my hat on it. And I'm super proud of it because I put a ton of work into it. And it's it, you know, my fingerprint and passion and thoughts and feelings like it's it's all in there. Like like you can get a sense of who I am if you really read the book and understand like I'm trying to pull on some heartstrings yeah. in a certain sense. Um, someone called it one podcaster I, I did an interview with. She goes, um, Jesse, this is kind of like a love letter to Bitcoin. I was like, <laughs> you, you, you know, I never thought of it that way, but well, you're kind of right. <laughs> love is blind. Love, love is, blind. is blind. I don't know. Um, because because it's, it is it is truly unique and special and it's cre it is a platform that A, is valuable unto itself and growing its own value, but B, it is giving people um, 
a, a leg to stand on to create real value for themselves and their community and the people around them. And like the, the, the yeah. other system, it just doesn't do that. Like I am not empowered by being a banker, whereas I am so much more individually empowered by being a Bitcoiner. And I can, because I, I'm, I, I'm not spending, wasting all my time serving some corporate need that they, oh, what are our, what's the, uh, the uh, NPS or the whatever, the, the, the ranking out of 10 on our customer survey, you know, like just provide good service, man. Like you don't need a survey for this. Like just, just do better. Like this isn't rocket science, but like, sure, you need this metric so you can determine, you know, this or the other, but like, it's all nonsense. Like just do better. It's not hard. Bitcoin, I don't have to waste my time, right? I'm like, I'm just spending so much time spinning my wheels in the other system. And this is just, I can just be straightforward and honest with you now. <laughs> well, yeah, and you have the philosophy side of it too that you went to school for too. I've, I see that kind of coming out in the book as well. You have a lot of quotes. Yeah, um, that's part of, so I'll, I'll quickly say that every page has an individual quote. So whether it's a historian, like a economist, a politician, I quote comic books like Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, like I literally have quotes, crosses the, the spectrum. And each quote relates to the Lessner idea on that individual page. So it's just a way yeah. to try to communicate, right, and frame all these ideas so that you can it, you can maybe make sense of it or it can strike a chord with you and you can maybe grow from that. You know, if, if I strike one chord, you can grow off of it. Yeah. I tried I to get into philosophy, but um, I can't. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> I, I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you, guys. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I uh, I keep all my jokes in a database. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay Speaking um, of being a dad, you got to go run, yeah. don't you? Yeah, he's got a baby to feed, so. Um, thank you so much for being with us today, Jesse. It's, it's, it was our pleasure. Uh, any final thoughts, uh, Jesse or Brent? Uh, I'll just say thank you, guys. This was a lot of fun. It was nice uh, chatting with you here. Um, you know, I hope that what we talked about, I, I just hope it strikes a chord with, with some of your listeners and that, you know, you don't have to get, I'll say you don't have to understand everything about Bitcoin all at once. You can just understand the basic premise that, like, it's here. And it, it works like it really, truly works. Yeah. And if you want to try it, I would encourage you, you know, set up a wallet on your phone. You, there's a wallet called Blue Wallet. You can download it from the app stores, download it and go to an exchange and buy 10 or $20 worth of Bitcoin and then just send it to that wallet. Like just just experience a Bitcoin transaction that will teach you more than listening to me talk for 10 hours. I promise. Yeah. Yeah. Start with a very small yeah, amount. Yeah, just, you know, start in the shallow end, right? Just just get a little familiar. You, The more, if you do a little bit of that, you, you might start to get intrigued and you might start to wrap your yeah. head around it a little bit more. No, we're really thankful to have you on and share this stuff. Like we come from the perspective of, um, you know, we, we're both in real estate. We want to help people steward their wealth and... Uh, Bitcoin's kind of this big unspoken thing on our show so far. So we're trying to introduce it and have some people on and you've brought a lot to the table and we're really thankful for Good. that. Yeah, again, I, um, I just hope, you know, listeners will, will get a little taste of it and that hopefully everything makes makes sense. <laughs> yeah, cool. All right, thank hey, you. Well, to our listeners, thank you for listening, folks. And uh, until next time. Steward your wealth wisely. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Two Stewards Show. If you like my voice better, click subscribe. And if you like my voice better, click share. If you like both, give us a five-star rating. To interact with the show, feel free to reach out at hello at twostewards.ca. We'll see you in the next episode. In the meantime, steward your wealth wisely. <laughs>